What one decision do you need to make that can change the rest of your life? Now, I'm not the guy who, <laughs> that believes like, so stay with me a minute, let me kind of lay a little foundation. You know, I've, there's been some people we would admire that have succeeded in one realm or another and people want to go up and ask them, what, if you could do it over or what one thing would you say would be the, the roadmap to success? Well, there really is not just like one thing. So I know that's kind of a, I'm kind of giving a disclaimer to the question I just asked you, but one step diligently and consistently taken typically leads to more one steps. <clears throat> so when I ask you the question, what one thing, what one decision do you need to make that could change the rest of your life? It could be a good decision or a not so good decision. And it does change the rest of your life. Choosing the person you're gonna get married to changes the future of your life. The job you choose doesn't necessarily change the rest of your life, but it changes that part of your life as long as you're there. So I wanna talk about one decision and the power of a decision. There's an interesting story. Back in 1963, there was an MIT meteorologist. His name was Edward Lorenz. And he presented this hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science he theorized that a minor event like the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Brazil could conceivably alter wind currents sufficiently enough to cause a tornado in Texas. And there's been movies made about it using the title, but he, his theory became known as the butterfly effect. You probably heard that. So Lorenz designed a computer program to simulate and forecast weather systems. On one particular day, he made an accidental discovery. He was in a hurry to get to a meeting, and so he, he entered a figure into his computer, and he rounded the number from his previous trials, thinking in his mind in that quick moment that, you know, one thousandth of one percent would be inconsequential. But he was wrong. Later that day when he returned, he found a very radical difference in the simulated weather conditions that he had put in and forecast. The, the numerical difference between the original number he had used in the trials and the rounded number was the equivalent of a puff of wind. But the net difference was that of a catastrophic weather event somewhere else. So he came to the simple but profound conclusion that minuscule changes in input can make a macroscopic difference in output. Now this is not only true in science, but it's also true in our lives, every one of us. One decision, one change, one risk, one idea 
has the power to change your life. One decision can radically alter your spiritual, emotional, relational, and financial future. One decision can change everything. One decision. You don't have to change a hundred things. And that's what some people think. I want to change a hundred things, but you just have to be committed 100% to one change. One decision can radically alter your spiritual, emotional, and financial future, and it can change the atmosphere of your marriage. One decision can change the atmosphere in your family, in your workplace, and in your church. What about the decision to come to church and sit with your hands folded? Or the decision to come to church and participate and lift your hands and lift your voice. Like the Bible says, lifting holy hands to the Lord. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. When you, get in, when you lean in, one decision to set back and one decision to lean in and take it in. It's a, there's a big difference in the outcome. Did you know you're only one decision away from a totally different life? I'll say again, you don't have to make 100 changes, just be 100% committed to one change. Now, it could possibly be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but that one decision, that one change has the potential to make a 100% difference in your life. Now, if you need some scripture, I wanna give you a story, and I want us to look at one sentence found in the book of Judges, chapter three. Judges, chapter three. Three. It says, after Ehud, now if you're looking for names for your sons, that might not be the one you want to pick. Any way you pronounce it, it just kind of sounds, you know, Ehud. <laughs> I don't know. Ehud. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath who struck down 600 Philistines by himself with an ox goad. And he too helped save Israel. Now that's all that's written about Shamgar in the scripture. That's it. But this one sentence tells us most everything we need to know about him. One daring decision and one farm implement result in the difference, uh, in, in the deliverance for an entire nation, the nation of Israel. This one risk turned a few minutes of fame into a model of courage that still inspires us today to think that one guy on his own took what was in his hand, an ox goad. He plowed oxen and he took it. 600 Philistines were coming against the people of God and he took them all out. That's a bad ombre. <laughs> That's your security team at church right there, let me tell you. Don't mess with the church. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good example or not, but that's the green beret, right? Think about one, six hundred, not six, not 60, 600 people. Only Steve Livingston could do that. <laughs> Especially at his age, at what, 43 now, Steve? That's right, 43. 
God's people, Israel, did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the story. And the punishment was enslavement to the Philistines who, who had tormented them with fear and intimidation. But one man named Shamgar refused to be ruled by the unrighteousness of the Philistines. He decided to disrupt the status quo and he did it with an ox goad. Now, I, I looked at pictures of an ox goad. There's several deviations, but it's kind of a long stick with a crook at the end and a point on it. It's kind of like a cattle prod, right? We, we know them as kind of electric today. You kind of, y'all ever done that? We had cattle prods with his boys growing up working the cows, and then our brother would get a little, my brother would get a little too close to me, you know, it'd be, it's just low voltage. It's not going to hurt you. It's just fun. But the cattle, the ox goat didn't have electricity or batteries, but, but the, the, the gotch that was Working the oxen, Shamgar, he could use it to get their attention, to hook them, to keep them. So next to David, Shamgar ranks as one of history's most improbable heroes. And like David, who was the shepherd turned king, this farmer turned warrior, Shamgar, transformed a tool of his trade. Listen to me. He transformed a tool of his trade into a weapon of war. What is in your hands that God wants to use for divine purpose? What platform do you have? What audience has God put in front of you that he wants to use in a supernatural way? You may think it's just a company or just a job or just a role, but it's a platform God has given you. How are you exercising that for the benefit of the purpose of the kingdom of God? I don't think David had any idea when he was tending sheep that God was going to use his skill with a slingshot to catapult him into the national spotlight. And I don't think Shamgar had a clue while he was driving oxen in a field that God would turn his ox goad into the instrument of Israel's deliverance. Shamgar had no army. He had no artillery he just had a stick with a hook but he did not let what he could not do keep him from doing what he could you, you got to remember something God plus you makes a majority period okay get that right God plus you makes a majority Paul said it this way if God be for you, who? Who can be against you? Who, who can be against you? So Shamgar grabbed his ox goat and he charged. Can you think And the oxen are over here going, ooh. But he grabbed that ox goat and he charged at 600 men. He looked as foolish as David charging Goliath with a slingshot. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Pastor Nate, I think, said this last week. It's kind of like charging hell with a water pistol. And the enemy may have even smiled like, Who, who's this? Well, he just, he just has an ox coat until they saw him wielding that thing. And they saw the look in his eyes and fear came on the enemy. This man has a mission and I better get out of his way. 
And he took them out. You see, courage is a powerful thing. Courage doesn't wait until situations turn in one's favor. Courage doesn't wait until a plan is perfectly formed. Courage doesn't wait until the tide of popular opinion is changed. Courage only waits for one thing, and that's a green light from God. And when God says go, it's full steam ahead, no questions asked. Did you know that in the kingdom of God, here I am, trumps credentials every time. In God's kingdom, here I am. You see, God doesn't, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. If God called you, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from or what your past looks like. The criterion isn't your experience or expertise because oftentimes you'll think you did it and you get in the way of God. What God's looking for is availability and teachability. If you're willing to go when God says go, he'll take you to inaccessible places to do impossible things. Can I say that again? If you'll go and God says go, he'll take you to inaccessible places. Doors will open that you can't make open by yourself. When you just obey God, he opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open. He'll take you to inaccessible places you didn't even dream were available to you. Isaiah said it this way, chapter six, then I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, and I said, here am I, send me. <laughs> here am I, send me. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, they all had one thing in common. They all said, here am I, send me. And it's ironic that we will spend much of our time and energy trying to figure out how we're going to get where God wants us to go. On the Enneagram, if you understand personality profiles, on the Enneagram, which is one of those profiles, I'm a two, which is a helper. And the helper has these great qualities of planning and making sure things are in order and I just want everything's got to think things through. I'm like, you know, so like to give you an idea, a few years ago, it's been about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, we were at a wedding and the wedding took place on a boat, a big boat, and the boat was out in the harbor off of Chicago, uh, the, the piers there in Chicago. And, but the storm, there was a big storm. So, so the boat didn't, really leave the harbor, it kind of stayed right there, but here's like 60 people on this massive boat, and Janet and I are at this wedding, and Janet swims like a rock. <laughs> she can't swim. In fact, Janet won't even let water, like, touch her face, like, nothing, like, shower, nothing, like, nothing. So I'm sitting here on this boat, I'm a two, I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at people around me, Janet's there, and I'm like, I wonder where the life jackets are. Because that's the way I think. I'm like, if this, if this baby's gonna go down, 
there's a lot of people here, and Janet's my first concern. I mean, I, where's the life? It's cold water. This is cold. It's like 40 degrees. It's cold. I'm like, I'm thinking. Well, a guy sitting next to me happens to be a pastor friend of mine. I asked him, I said, I wonder where the life jackets are. He looked at me and said, that's why I'm your friend, because you think of things I never even, never even registers with me. <laughs> what was I saying? We want to plan why. See, y'all just thought it wasn't going to come back to me. Stay with me. I may be over 60, but I ain't over. Okay. <laughs> so we, we start thinking, God says go, and we try to figure out how. And, and the two in me, I, I go there. So I'm like, okay, well, that's gonna take this much money and that's gonna require this many people and that's gonna take this many hours and I gotta take this many planning and I gotta take this many. And, 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 and I get all of that. I get that. I get that. You gotta do that. But, but when God says go, all he's waiting, first of all, because you, sometimes we'll do nothing. We won't even take the first step. What God wants us to do when he says go is say, here am I, I'm available, teach me. It's God's job to get us where he wants us to go. It's our job to make ourselves available anytime and any place. And so, and so sometimes, ma'am, and that's why she married me. I'm getting my mind back in the sermon. Hold on a minute. It takes a second. I am a man before I'm a pastor. And I am a husband. Okay. Did you know that when you say go anytime, any place, sometimes it means going out of our way to love a neighbor? <laughs> or a coworker? Sometimes... Sometimes it might be a call to move halfway around the world, but it always starts with the prayer, here am I, use me. And that's what Samuel said as a boy when he heard God call his name. That's what Moses said when he was at the burning bush and it wasn't being consumed and God spoke to him. That's what, that's what Caleb said when he finally stepped foot in the promised land. Shamgar may have been the least qualified person to deliver Israel and he could have made excuses like I don't have the right weapon and I can't do this by myself and I don't come from the right background and I don't know the right people and I, 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 I if we look for an excuse you're always going to find one but if we will if we if we will channel our creativity into finding solutions instead of making excuses what could happen what if we did that if we will just have the courage to make the decision and take the risk, it will become the defining moment in our lives. January of 1987, we're at a church conference, my wife and I, in Louisiana. The title of the, of the conference, the theme was Because of the Times. And it comes from perhaps Esther's scripture where in her writing, she said, I'm here for such a time as this, right? I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You, so, so, so we're at this, in 1987, Janet and I, she was, she, we're, we're 26 years old. 
and God says, go to College Station and start a church. We had a three-year-old boy, $800 in the checking account. That was it. Never started a church before. We stopped what we were doing. We were involved on a church team, serving on a church staff. We were very involved, secure, had a nice home. We were comfortable, three-year-old, raising our family. And God said, go to a city you never lived in. Meet people you never know, that you don't know. Start a church, had no background, no finance. Showed up in town. I remember rolling into town up Highway 6, and all the stuff we owned was in a, a 12, uh, sorry, a 14-foot cattle trailer. And I'm, I'm thinking, what on, what in the world are we doing? But sometimes those defining, you don't know how much of a defining moment it is when God speaks to you and you say, here am I. You don't know the outcome. You can't start where you are at the beginning and see the whole picture because you never know what God's going to do. You never know what relationship or skill or experience or attribute God is going to use through you to bring about his kingdom purpose. Think about it. He used a beauty pageant to position Esther to be the queen of Persia and stop the Jewish genocide. He used Nehemiah as a cupbearer to the king to position him for royal favor that would play out into rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He used David's musical ability to open the palace door and give him access into the king of Israel. He used Joseph's imprisonment. Well, I don't like that part. I want my, he used his imprisonment and his ability to interpret dreams. Had he got stuck in negativity because he was in prison, he might not have had the positivity to interpret anybody's dreams. Don't let your negative circumstance keep you from the positive outcome that God may have planned. You've got to see beyond the moment. You can't live just in the moment. Your decision is long-term. Here am I. And he interpreted dreams, Joseph did, that saved two nations from famine. And he used the zeal of a murderer of Christians named Saul, who became Paul, who traveled through the known world three times on missionary journeys, put in prison, writing the gospel, most of the New Testament gospel throughout, throughout his time in, in prison. He did that. God used him. And if he can use them... He can use you, and he wants to use you. Don't think you're done. You need to know what your next is. This is, this is for somebody. So as my career, my life, our ministry, we age, times and circumstance change. You gotta keep knowing what the next opportunity is God has for you. It doesn't mean what you did is over. It just means new people. We, we believe in next gen. We, get, we think three around here. It, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So we're thinking three. Now my grandchildren, my granddaughter right there. She's right there on that camera right there. I'm pointing right at her right there, right there. Like, wave at me, Layla, wave at me. Layla, no, get your hands up. Get your hands up like you don't care. Get your hands. Isn't there a song that does that? Okay. I... 
Layla angry. Come on, look at me, Layla. I got to get over here. Look at me. Smile at me. 14 years old, third generation. She's serving in the church. Her daddy was three when we started the church. What I'm trying to tell you is you got to know your next. Now we're setting people up. We're setting people up. You got some of you got second and third generation. Maybe you only have, maybe you just have second generation, just born into the family. There it is right there, newborn. First grandson, right? Right there, right there. First grandson. Look at it. There's There's second generation, third generation, the grandson right there. We just keep going. We just keep going. What I'm trying to tell you, your next, what is your next? Don't just think of the moment, but your defining moment, your decision, your one decision, your one, your one risk may change 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life. And it's never over. You just keep stepping into your next and stepping into your next and stepping into your next. And God keeps filling in the past as time goes on generation. after. So now, this week, I was on the phone with three different churches across the country, three different churches. Janet and I get to sit and speak into and love them and coach them and talk leadership. They're great young guys, 40 years old, 42 years old, 35 years old, but we get to speak into them because of the experience, the time, and the longevity and the consistency. Now God's using what we've been through, and he's allowed us to speak to others, and our church just keeps going. What is your next? You've got to think. You've got to see. God's not done with you. One change, one decision, one one risk, one choice determines your future. In fact, did you know God's developing talents within you right now that'll serve kingdom purpose in ways you, you're totally unaware? Some of the struggles and challenges we went through giving birth to this church, I now can look back and when guys call me and they're like, like this week, they're like, hey, we've got some decisions we're trying to make. We're trying to buy property. We're trying to build a building. We're trying to, and we need money and we've got to have bankers and we've got to have people that finance the vision and got to have people that believe. Tell, tell us what you've been through that can help us with what we're about to go through. What's your next? Who can you help? Did you know it may be it may be your God-given athletic ability that he wants to use. Or it may be a musical talent that God will use to give you a platform to give him honor. Did you know it may be your creative genius or simply old-fashioned work ethic that God will use to give you a platform to speak for his purpose? No matter, it's a gift from God to be used for God. It's a gift from God to be used for God. So let me say it this way. Do the best you can with what you have where you are. And that's the best definition of success I could give you. Success is stewarding Managing every opportunity in every possible way every single day. Success is really spelled stewardship. And stewardship is spelled success. I won't go into the story, but I feel like it might help somebody. Just a little thought. The thought is, people often will say things. It happened to me this week. They'll pop off about things that they don't know anything about. <laughs> I'm trying to make this clear without. People, I'm trying to say it a different way. People will often 
determine an outcome with wrong understanding of how you got there. They'll see you where you're at, your business, your family, your marriage, your success, your wherever you are in life. They'll are things you they'll and they haven't even thought about a single step or mile that you've walked in your shoes to get where you're at. All this journey back here, back here, back when, <laughs> when nobody else was there to pay the bills, you were scrapping and you were working and you were there at midnight and you were doing, people don't even think about it. It, it. People just, and they pop off. You have to remember you're doing it for the Lord. And some people will never know the sacrifices you make, but God knows them. And it doesn't matter whether you're a journalist or a teacher or an entrepreneur or an artist or a politician. Yes, politicians. We have them in our church. Or a nurse or a plumber or a lawyer. Got all these in our church. It doesn't matter if you're any of these. That's really not what matters. What matters is, are you using your ox goad for God's purpose? So let me say it this way. Don't just make a living when God has called you to make a difference. That's one of our values is to make a difference. And you don't need to change jobs. You don't need to change spouses. You don't need to change cars. You don't need to change houses. You just need to change you. Moi. Because wherever you go, there you are. And so I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure what went through Shamgar's mind when he grabbed his ox goat and saw 600 people and he starts going, <laughs> and he gets closer to them. What's he, I don't know. I mean, I just try to think about that. Did he ever think about, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'll just keep going. I don't know what he thought. I don't know if he's like, what the heck am I doing here? God, if you're not here, it's going to take about three and I'm out. I'm not sure what went through his mind, but I think he made this decision. I think he said it this way. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting. We doing all right so far? That's my introduction to the message. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, when you get an attitude that says, nothing's going to stop me until I go to heaven. And that's the key to finding freedom. The key to finding freedom is I'm going to fight and I'm going to pursue what God's put in my hands. I don't care what my past has done. I don't care the junk in my life. I don't care the trust I have to win. I don't care the hurdles I got to get over. Finding freedom is going to probably take the rest of your life from junk that's trying to hold you back. There's always doubts and addictions and insecurities and people and situations and wrong decisions that are lingering in our life. But by the grace of God, I'm finding freedom and I'm moving forward, whether it's freedom from the Philistines or freedom from pride or prejudice or an addiction or debt or poor health or procrastination you've got to get on the offensive and you've got to pick a time and be willing to fight there has to come a point in your life where you say enough is enough 
I know I can't continue down the path I'm on because it's a dead-end path. It's been dead-end relationally. It's been dead-end physically. It's dead-end financially. It's dead-end spiritually. We know we cannot keep doing what we've always done. Not if you want to get out of debt. It's going to be a new year. We're going to have more money. Did you get a budget? What's a budget? Google it. Not if we want to recapture the romance in our marriage. You can't keep doing the same things. Not if we want to leave a legacy worth living up to. Not if we want to protect our kids from the lies the enemy's pushing on them about their identity and about what a family should look like and about truth that's absolute. It's time to fight, to use what's in your hand, to stand for righteousness. And the good news is, you're only one decision away, one, from a totally different life. One risk, one choice can revolutionize your future, your family, our community, our schools. One change can change everything. If you start small and stay consistent, anything is possible. But you cannot leave chance you, you can't leave change to chance. You got to grab what's in your hands, your ox code, and you got to go for it. What, what do you mean by that, Pastor? You got to cut up those credit cards if you don't know how to manage them. You got to apply for that. Listen, apply for that graduate program anyway. Schedule that counseling appointment. Go to that school board meeting and speak up. Run for that office. Vote for the values the Bible teaches we're to live by. You've got to step up. Use what's in your hand. You are powerful. If Shamgar had focused on the fact that he was going up against 600 Philistines alone, he most likely would have given up and never even started. Sometimes I've done that. It's like one guy said, you, you jump and then you look for a net. There have been some times I'm like, I know God is with me. And listen, when God, when God speaks to you, build an ark. What's an ark? Because it's going to rain. What's that? And the rain's going to cause a flood. He built a boat big enough for all these animals and his family. And he wasn't even near a body of water big enough to sustain it. Tell me, you got to trust God sometimes because you don't know. The enemy will try to discourage you by overwhelming you. But here's your counterpunch. Here's what you got to do. Take smaller steps. You know, you don't kill 600 men by killing all 600 at one time. You just kill one. Come on over here, come on over, come on. You're done. All right, now there's 599. Where's the next one? I don't know if you can overcome alcohol, alcoholism or, or anorexia for the rest of your life. I don't, I don't know if you can do that, but you can win the battle today. Don't, don't worry about next year or even next week, just right now. Resist temptation for 12 hours. 
Win the battle for today. Focus on doing the one thing you can do right now. But but what if? What, but, 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 what if but, but what if? What if I fall back into that bad habit? What, 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 if, what if my romantic efforts aren't reciprocated? But, 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 what if, but what if I don't get that dream job? What if people don't like me for taking a stand? But what if I get canceled? Don't worry about the what if. Make this declaration from Scripture. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. And say this, make this confession. I will do the best I can with what I have where I am right now. Will you pray this prayer with me right now? Just bow your heads across the room and say this with me. Lord, Here am I. Send me. Use me. I'm 100% committed to you and your kingdom cause. Help me, God, to use what I have in my hand for your glory and your purpose. Help me to start where I'm at right now, the first step today, taking one step at a time. God, I rely on your grace. I rely on your strength to guide me. I may not see the end. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't even fully understand, but my trust is in you. So I'm going to hold on to your hand every step of the way. And you're going to guide me through the fog until we get to the end. Please remain with your heads bowed just for a moment. There is one decision that has the power to change your life for eternity. And that's the decision to make Jesus Lord and leader of your life. He said, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. And you'll ask for repentance and forgiveness. Jesus, forgive me of my past. And you believe God raised him from the dead. Jesus, I believe you are alive today forevermore. You died for me. You paid for my sin. And now you sit in heaven awaiting the second return to this earth. I believe in you. If you'll pray that prayer, and I want to lead you right now in that prayer. If you'll pray that and believe that, you can begin a new life with Jesus. Your past will be gone, and a brand new future will open up. Would you just pray this with me right where you are, somewhere across the room or somewhere across the world? Say this. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we'll say it like you mean it. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my past. Take away my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and giving your life for me. I receive you as my Lord and leader, and I completely surrender 100%. And from this day forward, I will serve you and honor you to the best of my ability. In Jesus' name, amen.